we've had, the, the wrestling that's been going on in our lives, Lord. And, and I just pray that, that this morning, Lord, uh, that we'd hear your voice above every other voice uh, in our heads, Lord, that, that uh, we'd be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 14. But to recap last week, uh, we, we realized, we looked at Jesus' life, his temptation. We see that, that we have a real battle, a real enemy. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 in the New Living Translation says this, Stay alert. Watch out for you have a great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's, not, it's, it's bad enough we're walking through this world, through this life, as hard as that can be, and we're walking in this flesh that can sometimes be attracted to it or led astray. We have an adversary on top of that who walks around seeking whom he may devour. You're on the menu. I'm on the menu. That's the reality. That's what Peter's saying. He understood that, that there's another battle, another realm going on, and it's for your soul. It's for my soul. And, and Jesus comes out victorious through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so important, the word of God in your life, to know it, to know the Bible, what it says, how to resist temptation. The thing, it navigates your mind because that's where the battlefield is. It's walking through this world and understanding and recognizing what you're walking through. Wow, that's a temptation. No, I shouldn't do that. Man, that's gonna, the results of that are going to be bad. So Jesus has victory. And the reality, then we roll into Jesus' teaching. And, and I love the Gospels. I love to hear about Jesus, what he's done. Uh, the Gospel of John says that Jesus came to display the Father, to tell us who he is, to unpack who God is, right? Because there's been a lot of confusion as to the reality, who, who is God? What is, is he mad at you? Does he care about you? Does he, does he care about the details of your life? And that's what we read in the Bible. In the, in the Gospels, Jesus says, I came to display the Father, to unpack him, to, un, to, to give you a glimpse of who he really is. I, when I grew up, growing up, I went to a church that uh, it, we really didn't read the Bible. It was, it was a lot of ritual. It was a lot of, some of you guys grew up in a, in a healthy church where they read the Bible week after week, where, where, where somebody actually taught out of the word of God. That's, the, that's a church you want to be in, any church. It's teaching the word of God. That's where you want to be. And, and I didn't grow up in one like that. I, I grew up in a church that it was a lot of ritual um, and and. Uh, a lot of stand up, sit down, do this, do that. I had no clue what, what Jesus really said. I had no understanding of what the Bible said about God, who he is, how much he really cared. I knew he went to the cross. I didn't really know why. I didn't know I was a sinner, right? And, and so Jesus came, and, and that's really what we're going to see here as we go through the Gospel of Luke and all the Gospels, that uh, we, get, we get a glimpse of God's heart. So. Verse 14, it says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 13 to, chapter, to verse 14, there's a gap in the story. 
Uh, Luke has so much detail in his gospel, but for some reason he chose to leave a portion out. Almost the whole full year of Jesus's, uh, the first full year of Jesus's ministry, which is John chapter 2, John chapter 3, and John chapter 4, where we see Jesus's first miracle at a, at a wedding. Uh, we see him cleanse the temple and turn over the tables. We see him meet with Nicodemus and tell this religious leader in John chapter 3 that it doesn't matter if you've attended church, you tithe, uh, you keep the law as best as, as, best as you can. Uh, that doesn't matter. He tells Nicodemus, you won't see the kingdom of God. The mo- he represents the most religious person on the planet in that day. And Jesus says, listen, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You're not going to heaven, Nicodemus. It, it would blow Nicodemus's mind. And we see Nicodemus show up at the end of Jesus's life at the cross. J- Nicodemus gets saved. He understands uh, he needs a savior too. And then we see in John chapter four, Jesus, this is where he heads back from Judea in the south near Jerusalem. And he heads back north. To the sea of Ga- toward the Sea of Galilee. He's going to go to Nazareth. But on his way, we, see, we read in John chapter 4, it says that he has to go through Samaria. That was a place the Jews didn't go. The Jews avoided it. It was the direct route, but they avoided the Samaritans. But Jesus said, you know what? I got to go through there. Why? Because it was one woman that he wanted to see, that he wanted to meet with, that he wanted to talk to, and that he wanted to free from who she was, the lifestyle she was living. She had been married five times. And she had given up, given up on marriage. She had given up on that idea. Five guys, whether she did them wrong, they did her wrong, probably combination of both. She said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And she was just living with a man. And Jesus meets this woman, reveals himself, tells her, you know, I am Messiah. This woman gets saved. She goes back to Samaria and says, Okay, come and see a man that's told me everything about me. He knows my whole life, A to Z, and he still loves me. That's amazing, right? If, you know, to, to think if somebody knew, somebody in this room knew your whole life, are they going to love you? They knew everything you did every day of your life. Are they going to love you? But here's the reality there's a God in heaven who knows all about your life, the things that nobody else knows about. And he still loves you. He died for you. And that's where we pick up. Jesus goes through Samaria, heads back up uh, to Galilee. And we're going to see that he's teaching in the synagogues. Being glorified by all. This would be the year of his popularity, people call it. And he taught in their synagogues. And he comes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So that whole year, Jesus's, Jesus, what he did is he would go to the synagogues, whether it was one or multiple, Jesus would go there and he would teach. Imagine, I would love to hear those teachings. You know, imagine Jesus opening up the Bible and explaining it, right? Amazing. And, and what they would do in the synagogue, they would go there, they would meet on a Saturday, and a synagogue had to have at least 10 people, and they would go there, and there was somebody that was kind of the head, the, they would call him the rabbi of the synagogue, and they would go and they would, they would read, they would pray, 
they would read, they would, uh, they would read Deuteronomy, Hero Israel, the Lord is one God. Uh, they would read the Shema. Um, and then they would take the Old Testament, the, fir- the, uh, the, the books of Moses, the first five books out of the law, and they would read a portion of that and then expound on it. They would teach on that. Then they'd pray again, and then they would take uh, some of uh, the uh, prophets. Here they take Isaiah. They'd take some of the prophets, and so- they would read that and then expound on that. And that's where, that's where we are right now. It says uh, Jesus is there in the synagogue. Important that Jesus made it a point. Listen, this isn't a great church that Jesus goes to. Because we're going to read here in a few verses that they're going to try to kill him. But Jesus makes it a point. He's going to church. And he's reading. And it says he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he, handed, when, when he opened the book, Jesus is looking. It's not a book like this. They give him a scroll, right? And he's got to unroll this scroll. And it's not chapter and verse. He's not looking for Isaiah 61 because that's where it's going to read. That's where he's going to read from. He just opens the scroll up and he finds the place where it's written. For us, it's Isaiah 61. But he could have opened it up anywhere he wanted. Jesus could have expounded and said anything and explained anything he wanted. But what he wanted to do was very important. And, and, and explanation of Isaiah 61, which is a messianic prophecy. Isaiah 61, these, these guys would know full well. When he started reading, they would think, oh, this is about Messiah. I love to hear about Messiah. Why? Because Messiah, they were looking for their Messiah. Somebody to come and overthrow the yoke of Rome. Rome was put, had this heavy hand on Israel. They were controlling Israel, overtaxing Israel, doing all kinds of stuff. They, had no, they, they didn't, couldn't really control their own government. Uh, Rome was, was uh, in control here. So for them to hear about Messiah, it was hope. I got to hear about Messiah. What? What is he going to do? What's this guy going to say? And he's a hometown hero, Jesus. This is his hometown. He comes in there and he's going to, he opens the, uh, the scroll up to Isaiah 61 and starts to read and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And it says he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Right? They're thinking, what is he going to say about this? But Jesus closed the book at a very important uh, spot. For us, there's a comma there. And, And the comma is... Uh, a portion, it says, to proclaim uh, the year of vengeance of our God. That's, that's the rest of that sentence in what would be our verse 2. And it's because there's two missions. Messiah came, is going to come twice. And, and the Jews didn't understand that. They didn't understand two comings. They, did, they couldn't fathom the reality of stuff that they read in Daniel. That he's going to come riding on the clouds, Daniel chapter 7. That he's coming back 
as a conquering king, but then I, I, Daniel chapter 9, that he's going to come as a suffering servant, that he's going to be cut off, Daniel 9 says. The psalmist, Isaiah, there's different scriptures that, that portray this suffering savior, the Messiah, and then a conquering king. And they couldn't put the two together. They couldn't understand, and, and Jesus stops right there. And the first part, that's what Jesus came to do is the, the Lamb of God. He came to heal, to restore, to set free, to give sight to the blind, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was the year of Jubilee. That's the year, the 50th year. Every 50 years, it's a year of Jubilee. The land rests. If, if you're a slave, you're set free. If you owe a debt, it's paid off. Like if you're going to buy property or do some investment uh, dealings, it's the 49th year you want to invest all your money and go into hock, and then the 50th year you're set free, right? But that's the year of Jubilee. And this is when Jesus, it was that year, uh, scholars believe what Jesus is saying uh, at the time when he reads this, it's the year people would be set free. Can you imagine that? Somebody, your creditor calls you up and says, hey, you know, the debt you owe on your house, don't worry about it. Paid. You don't owe us anything. What? Really? I wish I would have known that. I would have bought something else, right? Your, your car loan comes due. Hey, don't worry about it. You don't owe us anything. Wow, that's amazing, right? Think of your debt, and, and that's what it, it means to be set free. That's what Jesus came to do, to set people free. And these guys were looking for hope. And the ministry that Jesus is saying, he returned in the spirit. That this is the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to do this, to preach the gospel to the poor, right? To, to the good news to the poor. And not everybody's poor. Some people are, uh, have less money than other people. But he's not speaking of just monetarily poor. Because the reality is people are spiritually bankrupt. There's a lot of people that have money, but they're spiritually bankrupt. They're looking, they're groping, they're broken. They're like, what is life all about? I've got money in the bank. I've got my 401k set up. I've got this set up. What am I missing? What is going on? Why do I feel like this? And Jesus says he came to preach the gospel to the poor, those who are poor in spirit. And he's coming to his hometown. And he wants them to hear this message. Bankrupt. Empty, broken. And then he says, he's also sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To cure people who are crushed or broken or shattered. That's what it means. To heal the brokenhearted. To cure or make well people who are crushed and shattered. People, it doesn't take long. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't take long to figure out Something's broken in this world. Like things aren't working out. Like for your kids, when you're, if you're a kid growing up, you're like, what is wrong with this world? What is going on? And you're just trying to fight and find your way. 
you realize, man, something's messed up, but maybe you can't put your finger on it. You didn't grow, I didn't grow up in church. For the first 10 years of my life, I grew up in a, in a church where I sat on stage and rang a bell at a certain time and, and you know, they waved some incense around, and I had no clue what life was all about. I didn't hear the gospel. They didn't teach it there. I knew I was trying to fit in. I knew there was a lot of things going on. Then all of a sudden, someone in my family got saved and, 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 and this gospel message, the truth of Jesus Christ, that he came to set men free. You know, Luke says that he came to seek and to save the lost. That's what I was, lost, broken in, in this world. I was looking for hope. I was broken. And it doesn't take long to figure out, man, there's, there's something messed up. And Jesus is looking for the brokenhearted. That's what his spirit is doing. If you remember the man with the withered hand, they tried to set Jesus up because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day, something that was forbidden. You can't work, you can't travel, you can't you know, do any kind of work on the Sabbath. And, and they had all kinds, to, all kinds of extra rules and laws that were crazy. If you had a, you know, false teeth, you had to take them out. If you had a prosthetic leg of, of, you know, they had a wooden leg. You'd have to take it off because you're bearing a burden. You couldn't grind wheat in your house to make, it already had to be pre-ground because you're, you know, you're, you know, working. There was all these laws. So Jesus, and Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day because that's what he came to do. And, and there was a man with a withered hand who normally wouldn't be allowed in the synagogue but they brought him in with one purpose. They said, listen, when, they, when Jesus sees this man with a withered hand, he's going to focus his attention on, on that guy. The man with the most need. And that's what you come to church, you go talk to somebody. The reality is, is Jesus' focus is on somebody with a great need. He's looking for people that have great need, that are broken, that are hurt in this world and from this world. And he wants to cure them and make them whole. People that are broken and shattered and crushed. crushed. And he took that man, he said, you know, he, he set him in the midst. He says, stretch forth your hand. And he, the, the guy does. And Jesus heals him. And, and the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, were irate. What, who are you to heal somebody on the Sabbath day? Like, they didn't care about this guy they cared about a law or a rule that they made more than people. And that made Jesus irate. You see, he, Jesus didn't get angry. He didn't get frustrated with people that were committing adultery and lying, sinning. Jesus was mad at religious people that were making rules that they themselves, Jesus said, you can't even keep them. You, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. You're not even doing it. You don't care about people. You care about yourself. It says he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He wants to set people free. I got pulled over the other day. Might have been yesterday. For an inspection. Uh, my inspection's up. I'm like, oh, goodness. I was hoping he followed me way out of town. I'm like, oh, please pull that car over. Please, <laughs> poor car behind me. That car pulls off. No, nope, he's coming after me. 
And he let me go. The guy let me go. Hey, you need, a, need an inspection. But there's nothing worse than, than being like, I've never gone to jail. I've visited prison and people go. But people do things. I probably should have gone, but didn't get caught. I don't know. Uh, but, but that happens. Sometimes people get caught and you get in trouble and you got to spend time. Uh, I've had my picture taken before. But I haven't had to spend the night, thankfully. But Jesus says, I want to proclaim liberty to people who are captive. I want to set them free. And, and people are bound up. Sin, the trouble with sin is, the, the, the Bible says that, that it's holding you captive, John chapter 7. And Jesus wants to set you free. People that are caught up, whether they're, no matter what you're doing that you know is wrong, it could be drugs, alcohol, things you're watching on TV, uh, uh, adultery, whatever it is, those things have bound you. And you become a, John chapter 7 says, you become a slave to them. And you, you're not set free. It's a prison. And you can't free yourself. And Jesus says that that's why I came to set men free. Because you are bound. You can't get free. You can't escape. And Jesus says that I want to tell people they can be free. I want to set them free. I want to set men and women free. The woman caught in adultery was guilty. And, and Jesus is writing on the ground. You know, they bring this woman... I'm sure I've mentioned this before. But they bring this woman caught in adultery. In the, it says in the very act, probably bring her naked to Jesus. And they say, you know, a lot of Moses says she needs to be stoned. What do you say? They're trying to trap Jesus in his words. What do you say should happen? And Jesus is beginning to write on the ground, write on the ground. And, and he says, all right, he who is it without sin cast the first stone. Like, are you without sin? And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave. Did he write the Ten Commandments? Did he write their own sin, personal sin, that they thought nobody knew about on the ground? I don't know. Jesus knew it all. But he's writing on the ground, he that's without sin cast the first stone. It says they leave from the oldest to the youngest. Everyone has to leave. And then he says to the woman, hey, where are your accusers? Do you have any? She says, no, my Lord. And Jesus says, and I don't accuse you. And then he says, go and sin no more. He forgives her, and then he frees her from the bondage of that sin. I'm not condemning you. I forgive you. But go and sin no more. You don't have to do, live like that anymore. That's the only way to be set free is Jesus Christ needs to come into a life and rescue it and set a man or a woman free. It's the only way. You're going to stay bound apart from that. You can try to rehabilitate yourself, but it's not going to work. It might do good for a little while. So either you'll go back to that thing or something else will grab your life. Because the Bible says that you're a slave to your master. And if it's sin, then that's your, that's your master. If it's Jesus Christ, man, what a good master you found. He sets you free, right? It's finding the right master and Jesus is the right master. And then he says... To set it to, to recovery 
the recovery of sight to the blind. And I think there's a level of a prodigal there, right? People that at one time were able to see, saw the gospel, maybe walked with the Lord for a time. Maybe in your younger years. And then you walk away. And Jesus says, I want to to restore sight to those people that have lost their way and bring them back to the truth. And, And some people we know, the Bible says it, we know it, are born blind. Right? I was born blind to the gospel, to the truth of Jesus Christ. Never, I never saw. He says, I want to let people see. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this in verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age, the God of this world, the devil is blinding the minds of people. Veiled their eyes so they can't see through sin. Jesus says, I want people to see. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the year of Jubilee closed the book, gave it to the attendant, sat down. And that's what the teacher in the synagogue would do. They would sit and other people would stand. And they're waiting. What's your commentary? What are you going to say about Isaiah 61? They're, they're wondering. They're looking for hope. They want, they want the lion of the tribe of Judah to come. They don't want the lamb of God. They want the lion. They're looking to shut off this bondage of Rome. And he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is what I'm doing, Jesus would say. I'm Messiah, and this is what I'm doing. And it says, verse 22, that all bore witness, and they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Right? At first they respond to the message like, this is amazing. This is the best thing I've ever heard. But then they began to reason in their mind and in their heart. Wait a second. This is, I know this guy. I bought a, a yoke from his dad. Didn't fit, you know, or I feel I got ripped off by his dad or whatever. I knew his brothers and sisters. And this familiarity, you know, you heard it, it breeds contempt. And they begin to reject what Jesus says. Jesus wants to bring them hope to free people. And they reject the gospel in his hometown. They think, yeah, I know this guy, right? You guys, some of you who are saved know what that feels like, right? You get saved, you go home to tell your mom, your dad. They're like, what is wrong with you? you, Have you lost your mind? I, I, I know who you are, right? And they think you're crazy. And that's really what is happening to Jesus here. They're like, reject him. Isn't this Joseph's son? All the hope that they had, the excitement is burst. And then they said this, verse 23. We're moving here. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard done in Capernaum, 
do also here in your country. They're looking for a sign. They're thinking it, they're whispering it, and Jesus responds to their request. He says, listen, I know you're looking. The, thing, the miracles that I've done, that's what you want me to do. You're not looking for a message. You're looking for a miracle. You don't want the hope that I offer. You only want the help that I offer. And then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. You've probably experienced that, like I said. I remember trying to share with all my friends and they thought I was absolutely crazy. And I thought that I have the best thing in the world to offer you guys. This is, I can't wait to tell you. And they were like, are you crazy? Some of them. And then he goes on to tell them this, verse 25. And, and they don't like the second message Jesus preaches here. He says, I tell you truly, many widow, widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah. That's his successor, a prophet, the two greatest prophets that there were. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. He, what Jesus was saying was a little scathing. He's, he talks about Gentiles. He talks about a woman. And then he talks about a leper. Those were things were that, that the Jews, number one, hated more than anything. They despised, uh, unfortunately, women, Gentiles, and lepers. They kept them at distance. And Jesus talks about this and says, listen, in, in the days of Israel's hardest, worst history, when they rejected God, that these prophets were set to, sent to Gentiles, this widow of Zarephath, where uh, uh, Elijah comes and she's, she's making her last cake for her and her, her son to eat and then die. And he says, wait a second, make Go ahead and make that, but make one for me first. And she could have said, no way. Are you crazy? I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get my last meal. But she does it in faith, and she responds to the message. And, and she only has a little bit of oil. And he says, if you do that, this oil will never run out, and it doesn't run out. And then Naaman, who has this servant girl, he's got leprosy. He's a general in the Syrian army but he's got leprosy. He's amazing. And she says, listen, there's a prophet in my land. Go see him. He's like, okay, I'll do it. I'll try to get help. There's no cure to leprosy. It's kind of like sin. And he goes there. And Elijah says, doesn't even go out to see him. Elijah sends his servant says, just go tell him to dip in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman is irate. He's like, no we've got better rivers in our country. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I knew I shouldn't have came here. And she's like, wait, if he told you to do something fantastic, you would have done it. But he just said, jump in the river and dip seven times. It's easy, but you got to listen. He's like, all right, I'll try it. He goes in one time, two times, nothing, three times, four times, six times. The seventh time he comes up, he's clean. And it says his skin is, is like a baby's skin. He's healed. That's what the gospel is, the truth and, and faith. 
Like, that's so simple. Believing in Jesus, believing I'm a sinner and I need a savior that he died on the cross. Yeah, that's it. But these guys in his hometown wouldn't even believe that simple message. And Jesus says that. And they don't like the second message that Jesus has. And it says, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they're filled with wrath and they rose up, thrust them out of the city. They led them to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. And passing through the midst, he went his way. So they want to kill him now. You know, these guys could have received it. They could have humbled themselves and says, you know what? You're right. You're right. We're a mess. We need your healing. We need your touch. They reject it. They, the rejection of the message, anytime, and, and it's the fear of Christians, I think, sharing the gospel. If you witness to people, to reject the message, they silence the messenger by threatening. The, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which you can read about, it goes all the way back to the disciples, all the way back, uh, and, and it was recently updated to the last hundred years because more Christians have died in the last hundred years than in all the generations uh, past combined. More Christians have died. But why? Because people want to silence the messenger. When they don't like the message, they want to silence the messenger. And fear is one of those things that people use. And, and, and Christians fall prey to the fact that oh, someone's going to reject me. I won't know what to say. And then you don't share the gospel. You don't share the truth. Right? And Jesus doesn't mince any words, but he loves these guys, but he's honest with them. Like nobody speaks like Jesus. That's what, that's what happens here. It says, verse 31, he went down to Capernaum. And this is where he sets up his headquarters in Capernaum. It's where Peter's house is. It's a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Exousia, it's with power. Why he didn't teach like the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus would often say, you have heard that it has been said, but I tell you, I say unto you, I want to tell you something with authority. Scribes and Pharisees, they would repeat what they heard. They would, uh, you know, Rabbi Shammai or Rabbi Hillel or you know, Rabbi Levi, whatever. They would repeat certain things. But Jesus taught with authority. The same authority that he had over the storm. And the disciples were freaked out like, wait, the winds and the seas obey him? That's crazy. Uh, John, I can't remember what chapter it is, but, but the soldiers came to arrest Jesus early on. I think it might be John chapter 7 or 8. And they go to arrest him and they come back empty-handed and, and, and the guys are like, well, where is he? What, what did you do? And they said, we've never heard anyone talk like him. We've never heard anyone say what he said and how he said it. We can't touch him. We couldn't touch him. Like that's Jesus's words. That's what his word is, is so powerful. You open it up, you read it, it rises off the page and talks to you, Right? And he, his teaching was with authority. It had power behind it. We don't even know what he said. It ju they just said how it was said. It was with power. It was with authority. And, and 
Then it says, you know, this is different in this, this synagogue. He goes in and there was a man who had this, a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Do you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown them in their midst, it came out of, out of him and didn't hurt him. And they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what word is this? For with authority and power, exousia, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding regions. I, I remember uh, years ago, I went to uh, a pastor's conference in Uganda, and I probably shared this before, part of the story. Uh, and, I, and I went there, and all of a sudden, at the end of the conference, they're like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have an exorcism. We're going to cast out demons. I'm thinking, cast out demons? This is a pastor's conference. Like, who's got a demon? Uh, but crazy enough, uh, it really appeared like people had demons there. I don't know if they were faking it or putting on a show, but it got really crazy at this pastor's conference. Uh, and and but the reality is, is that is real. Like the scariest things, scariest uh, things you read in the Bible are what demons do to people. Jesus casts demons out of people all the time that are hurting people, trying to harm people. That people are cutting themselves. It's self harm. It's self hurt. They're trying to kill a person. The, the, the scariest things that I ever saw on TV back before I was a Christian, you know, I watched scary movies. That was kind of a thing in our family. We'd watch scary movies. The scariest movies were, were demon movies. Like somebody, a real person gets possessed and their, you know, their head spins around. That, that was like freaked me out, right? Those are the scary. That's, you know, give me some aliens, please. Give me an alien that comes out of the chest of a person rather than, I don't, right? I don't, I don't want to see a demon. Those are, and, and you can read stories, and some of them are true, some of them probably aren't, but read the Bible and read stories of what things are going on, demonic things, in and through people. Those are the scariest things. Why? Because they have control of people, right? In the Bible, it talks about children who are possessed. How does a child get possessed? What does he do? How, what's the entrance? What's the opening for kids? Scary. This guy is going to church, synagogue, probably every week. But Jesus comes and shares a message and frees this, this man, right? Demons are okay if you go to church. Just don't respond to the gospel or the message. Go to church all you want. Just don't act on it. Tons of people went to church. I went to a pastor's conference. Just don't act on the message. Don't change. Don't respond to the gospel. The freedom in Christ. And he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Amazing. This, I grew up in a church where you know, they told me that, that Peter's the first pope. And, you know, and Pope's and priests, and you can't get married. They're celibate. Like, there's some confusion there. This is Peter's mother-in-law. Peter was married, so someone's got it wrong. And I don't say that uh, in, you know, 
degrading you know, a denomination or a church. But the reality is, uh, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Because there's, there's, I never checked it out. I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, my grandfather told me, hey, you know, priests can't get married. Okay, it must be in the Bible, right? No, it's not in the Bible. But I just thought that. No one ever showed me it wasn't true. Nobody ever told me. But here it is, right? You read the qualifications of a pastor. It says that they're to be a husband of one wife. What? Ted says that in the Bible? Yeah. But how can people be, be so duped and fooled? Why? Because they never read the Bible. I grew up in a denomination where you're never encouraged to read the Bible. You, had, you should have one. It should be this big, white, with a big cross on it, and put it somewhere so people could see it. Don't read it. Right? That's a scary thing, and that's the truth, though. That's scary. Don't read the Bible. So he goes and he heals. Listen, a headache. She has or a fever. She's got a fever. Like maybe you guys have had high fevers that headache comes with it. But it, see, it, that's so minor compared to you know. You look around, and you think what's what people are going through, illnesses and sicknesses and and. But Jesus cares about the detail of every life, what you're going through, the small minor things. She's got a fever. Hey, let's see if Jesus will touch her, right? For me and you, somebody's got a fever, I grab an aspirin or a Tylenol or whatever it is, right? They're like, Jesus, can you touch her? And he does. The Bible says we have, James says we have not because we ask not. Peter says to cast all our cares on him. Why? Because he cares, not some of our cares, all of them. He cares about all the details, And she rises, like Martha said, she rises and serves them. Like, Jesus, what can I do? You've done so much for me. How can I serve you? To serve the Lord. We should have that in our vision, in our sight somewhere. Lord, how am I serving you? We're going to finish these last couple verses. That's it. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick so Sabbath's over, the sun goes down, and now everyone's flooding into Peter's house. And all these sick people, and they had various diseases, brought them to him. And listen, this is important. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now important a touch is, I've had a friend t- tell me that, to be touched. Jesus would touch these guys. If you look it up, how important a touch is, it, it affects people's mental cognizance, whatever that word is. Psychologically, physically, if you look up what children need, part of what they need as in their development is a touch. They need to be touched. They need to be handled. They need to be held. They need all that stuff. People need that. We're still like little kids, right? We you still, and Jesus lays his hand on a shoulder, on a head, on somebody, right? The Bible talks about, we don't do that here, but greeting someone with a holy kiss. In that culture, you, you know, kiss each other on the cheek. When I first got saved, I went into church. Somebody gave me a hug. I'm like, dude, don't touch me. You're crazy. And now it's like normal to hug somebody and it's, it's normal. But it, I remember first I got a hug. I'm like, hug, Really? That's what I'm walking into. Get me out of here. That's nuts, right? But you need a touch. 
You need to know somebody loves you. And Jesus, not he could have just said it from the, hey, you're healed. No, he came over and put his hand on somebody, touched him, right? It's in, the greeting that we have here, like in between worship, and it's important that you, especially if you go see somebody that you don't know, it's important. Go give someone a hug, shake their hand, ask how they're doing. That's part of it. It's part of being a body. And the demons came out, and now it's nighttime. Son of God now on the Sabbath, and now demon-possessed people are coming to Peter's house, like knocking on the door. What did they look like? Vampires? I don't know. The demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them. I don't need your witness. Saying, and, and didn't allow them to speak, for they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. He got away with his father. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving. Far different than Nazareth, right? But Jesus, me, my wife and I, we, we fight. Like, who's going to get up first? We're, we're, you know, 5.30. Some people probably get up way early in 5.30. 5.30, my alarm goes off. I'm like, I got to get downstairs. And I'm always ticked if Leah beats me. I like it that she makes the coffee first. But if she beats me down there, why? Because we start to bother each other. We're talking to each other. I want a little private time, and she does too. And we get there, and we try to get refreshed and encouraged and meet with the Lord. You need to do that. It might be first thing in the morning. It might be at night. It might be at your lunch break. You need to do that. That's what Jesus did. If Jesus needed it, you need it, and I need it, right? He departed and went into a desert, a secluded place apart. But the crowd's not leaving him alone. They don't want him to leave. And he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For this purpose, I have been sent out. I came to do the will of my father. Right? You guys need to know, what's the will of your father for you? What should you be doing? How can you serve him? What are you, what's your life look like? Because you should be doing what Jesus says. Jesus is like, I'd love to stay, but I gotta, I gotta be about my father's business. There's things I have to do. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So Jesus was begin, began traveling, and this is the year of popularity. So I know I went long, so I'll end there. Maybe we quit, not do the last song. Lord, we uh, are so grateful, God, for your love, for the truth of your word, for the hope we have of heaven. I just thought about the different, uh, the, as you, Jesus, traveled from, from synagogue to synagogue, was this the first message you preached in every one? I don't know. You wanted people to know what your mission was, what your goal was. What, you looked at a life as broken and blind, needing healing, needing to be free. That's who I was. Lord, we need you so much, Jesus. We thank you for your ministry, the ministry of your word, your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that uh, whoever here needs a touch to be free, to be set free, pray that they wouldn't go away believing the message and then pushing it off, they would respond and get a touch from you, Lord. You want to touch people. We just love you, Jesus, in your name.